Welcome to Markets Now. I'm Michelle Rook with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Uh, we had some higher livestock futures on Friday, but the grains all in negative territory, Mike. And boy, did the funds just come back in here and pounce on this grain trade? Yeah, I really think they did, Michelle. And I think that, you know, the market in, in the grains has been very negative on the demand side. Why? Because of China. And then we got that surprise stimulus two nights in a row. We saw the crude oil market really kick into gear. We saw the copper kick into gear and we saw the wheat kick into gear. And those are kind of the three canaries in the coal mine for me when it comes to China. And that was a really nice breath of fresh air to offset the negative demand and negative situation with the deflation mindset. But it didn't hold. And I think that's where the funds who probably jumped in midweek and small traders that jumped in midweek, they probably jumped right back out again on Friday. Um, mainly, I think, because the, the Asian markets Thursday night, Friday morning, they just didn't get done what they needed to. In other words, the Hong Kong stock market didn't rally above resistance. The, the offshore Chinese currency didn't rally above resistance either. So I felt like that the macro demand side of the equation was a really big player in this market until the end of the week. And when it kind of dissipated, I think the trade went back to the looking at the export sales and that negative demand bias. Yeah. What about savings, though, as well with South America? It looks like uh, Brazil basis levels have really collapsed here. Did that add to it or was it a South American weather play? I think the beans changed their mindset from a standpoint of not trying to hold the wheat in the corn up. I think that's where the beans were not able to to, to offset or negate a negative corn and wheat market like they've been trying to. And I really think that Brazilian price and that basis you bring up is going to become more and more important the next two to three weeks. If we've got a short crop in Brazil, those prices in Paranagua should start to show that up. We're looking at $410, $415 a ton compared to our Gulf of Mexico price of around $480 a ton. And I think the trade's very well tuned into what's happening in the meal market, in the hog market over in China. So to me, the soybeans really have some downside potential um, after they feel like they've secured the United States 2024 acreage. And I think also uh, after we know what the February weather is going to be, there's supposed to be weather coming into both Argentina and Brazil that's supposedly going to knock out most of the drought and really relieve the stress and bring this crop around. That's going to be like the end of the first week of February. So we're really getting into crunch time if we're going to hold these beans together, in my opinion. What you just said probably also weighed on the corn, though, too, didn't it? I think it did. I think the best thing the corn had going for it this week was the wheat market. And, and again, going back to those macro fundamentals and the drier hard red wheat market. But it was interesting Wednesday when I was traveling to Nebraska, I heard the newswires talk about how the wheat market was gaining traction. The corn was gaining traction because of Brazilian weather. And I thought to myself, Brazilian weather has been out there for two weeks. There's something else going on in this market that's elevating the Brazilian weather to a market moving type of fundamental and I think that's why come back Sunday, uh, come back next week, being the end of the month of January, it's really critical, in my opinion, that we kind of put to bed the idea that China is going to export inflation into the commodity market. And we at least bring back investor demand and then we'll deal with the supply demand, the actual fundamentals after that. Right. So we started this conversation off talking about how there was fund selling today. And some of this was predicated even yesterday on the fact that from a technical standpoint, we ran up into resistance areas in corn and beans, maybe even in some of the wheat contracts, didn't we? 
Yeah, in fact, the soft red wheat went up against a very good long-term resistance on both the weekly and the monthly chart. It, it looks very similar to many different commodities right now in terms of coming up against some major resistance or in the case of the cattle and feeders being able to hold major support. I think this is where the technicals and the fundamentals are pretty good with one another right now. So take, for example, the soybeans. They held that January report day low of that 1205 area, the low of 1201 after testing it. And I think that's a really critical support level. We just don't want to see taken out. If I see it taken out, clients and subscribers are going to get a text blast saying, get some puts bought because this could really open up the downside. Yeah. Money flow might have been an issue this week as well from the perspective that you've got the stock market hitting new highs, which generally means um, we have money flow going over there versus maybe in the grain sector, but it certainly did help the livestock sector, didn't it? It did. And I think this is where the meats are finding the demand. And so therefore the equities markets matters. And I think you bring up a big point, Michelle, because if you're seeing equity flows in the United States, but not in Asia, that's only going to make the commodity mindset more negative because China really does run the emerging markets. I mean, you're talking about a 17, 18 trillion dollar economy compared to South Korea. That's like 1.7 trillion and Vietnam. It's barely a half a trillion dollars in economic size. And so China really is the key to these commodity markets, I think, in 2024 when it comes to the investor class. And taking the U.S. stock market up on Friday to new highs was not a good thing for me because it just said the market's more concerned about Asia than ever. Yeah. So what do you see ahead here? We had PCE on Friday a little hotter than expected. GDP was a little hotter than expected. What does that all mean for this market going forward? Yeah, I think the mindset and the trade in the bond markets and the equities markets, again, why would we make new highs in the U.S. equities? Because the PCE numbers were flatter and it says to the trade, the Fed's probably going to go ahead and start losing their enthusiasm uh, for, for keeping you know stable. And they're going to start cutting rates mid-year, probably at the earliest around May. Um, if that's the case, the commodity market should feel like that's a bit of a tailwind, a bit of some wind in their sales because it doesn't stoke the dollar. And I think that's especially important as we get closer and closer to the U.S. elections. I would think that between that and a couple other big things going on in Washington right now, is the dollar really a safe haven or not? And that's why, again, I kind of all roads lead back to China. If President Xi said he's putting a backstop against Hong Kong, as a command economy, he should be able to do that. And the market should be able to take advantage of that. Good point. Cattle market, let's talk about that individually. We mentioned it earlier, but cattle making new highs for the move on Friday, both live and feeders did that. And are the funds back in there or was this the push from the cash market? I do think the funds feel like there's an opportunity here because it does seem like a very similar pattern to 2014, 2015. And we had a really nice recovery going into early March in 2015. So I don't feel like they're as nervous about this 2015, 2019 price action and the grains that the grain traders are worried about and the funds are worried about. I think that I was in cattle country, eastern Nebraska this week, uh, north of Lincoln, and I think they're very enthusiastic, but I really wanted to drive home the point. 2024 is about profit, not hitting the highs. And I think it's going to be a much more difficult year to really trade and, and hedge in these markets. And for instance, we, we have a breakout, but we have a gap up around 188, 189 in April fat cattle. We could get to that, but I think getting hedges in place before we get to that gap is a good idea in case we get some negative numbers on those biannual reports next week. Yeah. And I don't know if the trade is expecting that. You said you don't think they're trading that as of yet. Um, 
technicals I want to go back. We actually hit 50% or went above 50% retracement levels in March feeders. We did not do that in April live cattle. Will we? And if we do, where do we go then? I think we can, Michelle. I think the feeders are giving enough of a tailwind, but I think back to your point about where the funds buying. Well, when you see the feeder corn spread working so aggressively and working so well, I think that's a good answer. That's a good piece of the puzzle that the funds were in this. So watch the feeders, watch the corn, and then watch the fat cattle. And I think that's how I'm going to play it. And Hogs, was this a cash or a fund-led rally, or was this again about China? I think it was about China. And I think, you know, the, the hog market and the soybean market, I think, are skating on thin ice right now. We need to see the market catch because both of them, I think, still, even with this pullback and the beans and losing those January report premiums, you're still talking about a bean corn ratio that's above 2.5. And you got to really wonder about the demand side of the equation for soybeans and for the hogs because of China. So I think you got to really watch the soybeans and hogs closely if you're a hedger. Thanks for joining us, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. That is Markets Now.